the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Hey, good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. Um, we have quite a show for you today. Uh, we are going to kind of take off from where we were last time. We were um, asking the general question, why and how did the Gentile world cast off its Hebrew foundation of the gospel message? And we have spent the last three shows <clears throat> spending some time on history and going back into um, ancient times, so to speak, as to how and why that happened. I would encourage you to go back on those earlier shows and uh, check out there's a lot of uh, good historical information and background that we just honestly don't hear uh, typically in our um, Gentile uh, world of um, church attendance. And um, I, as you may know, have two backgrounds, actually three now. Um, I spent 16 formal years uh, in Catholic education. I had uh, grammar school, high school. My undergraduate uh, experience was all uh, Catholic. And then when I came back to the Lord after a hiatus of some years, I uh, became um, a um, charismatic Catholic, which evolved into going over to um, the Pentecostal experience in a um, Protestant denomination. Uh, I'm ordained in it, went to their Bible school. And... Uh, Got a degree in theology, um, graduated summa cum laude, but that's not to um, impress anybody. It's just to say what my background is. And then for the last seven years, I have been studying as a Gentile over at a Messianic Jewish congregation in East County and uh, learning the whole Jewish foundational part of the first two-thirds of the Bible that we don't spend a whole lot of time in. And uh, we do spend some time in it, but we spend the majority of our time um, reading the four Gospels, um, the epistles um, of Paul and Peter and John. And um, that's pretty much where we spend most of our time if you attend a kind of a typical you know, um, evangelical or Pentecostal uh, Protestant church or even mainline church as well. But I want to ask some questions today. Um, this title is going to be a, a little different, and um, it's it deals with the issue of, as Gentile believers, what is our true biblical identity? You may wonder what I'm meaning by that because you're saying, well, there's two groups of people. And we have said that many times earlier on the show. The Bible says there are two groups. And um, one group is, of course, the Hebrews slash uh, Jews, people of the covenant. And, um, and the other people on the other side of the promises of the covenant, ultimate beneficiaries of those promises, I might add, who are people of the nations. 
And um, in Hebrew, the people of the nations are called goyim. That's the plural of the word goy, uh, which means um, person of the nation. And um, goyim is the plural of that, people of the nations. But that's pretty much uh, all the Bible uh, deals with as far as the two groups of people. And um, I was reading something that uh, was put out by um, a pastor that I studied under about 15 years, um, Dr. Robert Thompson, um, out of the Foursquare organization. And um, I wanted to read to you that's something from my book, um, the homecoming book, that we were still on the <laughs> chapter Solving the Mysterious a construction project of one new man in Messiah Jesus slash Abba Father. And so that was all based on Ephesians chapter 2 and the language that Paul uses about what God is building. And he's talking about um, foundations, and he talks about walls, and he talks about um, uh, temples and uh, homes and houses. And it's um, it's something worth reading because I believe this message is so timely in our day. And, um, but I do want to read to you, uh, focusing on the question, as Gentile believers, what is our true biblical identity? And so um, I quote on page 273 of the um, homecoming book that came out uh, last year, According to Dr. Robert Thompson, this is a quote now from his um, book, or one of his books. He wrote 1,200 books, by the way. He just recently passed away, and boy, what a legacy. Can you imagine anybody producing? They were not all big books. Some of them were uh, pamphlets. Um, Some of them were uh, workbooks. But 1,200 publications? Amazing. Amazing the most prolific uh, writer I have ever met. Anyway, according to, um, I say in page 273 of the Homecoming book, according to Dr. Robert Thompson, when Messiah came, he came to the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. The spiritual and only kingdom of God, of heaven, is of the Jews. Messiah Jesus, as he's, Yeshua is his Jewish name, which means salvation. Messiah Jesus is the son of David and will be crowned king as king of the Jews on the throne of David, where? Not in Athens, not in Rome, but in the city of Jerusalem. Now, anyone who's familiar with uh, scripture, prophetic prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament, uh, uh, can see this is everywhere. It's not just one or two prophets. It's it's everywhere in the Old Testament as to who this Messiah is and where did he come from? What is his identity? So let me go on here. There is no such thing, writes Robert Thompson, as a Gentile bride, a Gentile church. So I saw in another publication of his, I thought, wow. Um, I started to dig deeper on that, and he asked the question in another publication of his. It says, do the two words Gentile church ever show up in the Scripture one word juxtaposed to the other. In other words, the word Gentile as an adjective uh, modifying the word church as a noun. And I began to dig and look, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't see it. I can't find it. It's not there. The words together, Gentile church, don't appear in the Scripture. And Robert Thompson goes on to say, we, as believers, lose our identity as Gentiles. We as Gentile believers, I should say. We lose our identity as Gentiles the moment we become part of Messiah Jesus. In other words, when we become born again. He goes on. In fact, we become part 
of the only true seed of Abraham. Now, that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 2 and 3, which I asked, uh, ask you to go and check that out of those two chapters in Galatians, talking about us being part of the seed of Abraham if we belong to Christ. Well, anyway, let me just finish our point here. In fact, according to Bob Thompson, we become part of the only true seed of Abraham. There is neither Jew nor Gentile in Messiah Jesus. Now, I'm going to read there. This is something that I put as a reference. Um, I quoted that that, uh, citation from Bob Thompson in my book, and then I put as the uh, biblical backup Let's read it in the New King James first, in, out of Galatians three twenty six through twenty nine. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, in other words, if you belong to Christ, and if you are Christ, that's an apostrophe S, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, you're co-heirs with the downline progeny of Abraham. Do, do we Gentiles have any clue about this? Do we ever have this explained to us? Okay. Uh, now, that was the New King James. Let me read it to you, the same verse, Galatians three twenty six through 29, in the complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns. For in union with the Messiah, you are all children of God through this trusting faithfulness, because as many of you as were immersed into the Messiah have clothed yourselves with the Messiah, in whom there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for in union with Messiah Yeshua, Yeshua is simply the Jewish name of of Jesus, uh, meaning um, he saves or salvation. Let me go back now. That was a little color commentary for me. Let me go back to where I was. For in union with Messiah Yeshua, or in other words, Messiah Jesus, you are all one. And if you belong to the Messiah, you are seed, the seed of Abraham and heirs, H-E-I-R-S, according to the promise. So I say in my book on page 274, the homecoming book, which was published actually in uh, 2022, with the uh, byline, How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And I ask in um, my book, after quoting those two uh, references in Galatians, along with uh, Robert Thompson's book, are we Gentiles prepared to recognize that before or prior to our becoming united with Messiah Jesus, we were considered to be, quote, without Christ, being aliens, A-L-I-E-N-S, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And you might say, well, where did that come from? Well, if, actually, that's Paul writing to the, to the church at Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And I'm going to quote another, um, actually, uh, another author um, from the book Copernicus and the Jews from um, Professor Gruber. Quote, God gave to Israel sonship, his glorious presence, his covenants, including the new covenant in Messiah, 
His word, his written instruction, his law, his holy temple, and his great promises. He has irrevocably identified himself, talking about the Father, as the God of Israel. That's out of the book Copernicus and the Jews, page 243, by Professor Gruber. And then I go on, and I mentioned um, Bob Thompson again. Um, The Christian salvation is not one of some special dispensation of divine favor to the Gentiles. In fact, no Gentile can come under the new covenant until he or she, by being joined spiritually to Messiah Jesus, becomes a member of the household of Israel. Wow. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're answering the question, as Gentile believers, what's our true biblical identity? So we're going to start with Ephesians uh, 2, verse 12. I'm going to read it first from the New King James, and then we'll read it from the uh, complete Jewish Bible. And um, actually, let's start at verse 11. Therefore, remember, this is Paul now reading, uh, writing to the church at Ephesus, and um, this is uh, a church which is pretty much Gentile. And so he says, the Apostle Paul, who also was a, a Jewish from the tribe of Benjamin, who was um, a student under the Rabbi Gemaliel, um, and Paul was an interesting guy when you study about his background. I mean, he, although he's a Jew of the Jews, so to speak, he grew up in a Gentile community. And so when God finally decided to um, give him an opportunity to turn his life around and to repent and quit persecuting um, Christians, he basically... Um, picked a man who was steeped in both Gentile culture and Jewish culture and um, educated and trained, like I say, in the all things um, First Testament, Jewish Testament, the law and the prophets. In fact, he even writes um, at one point, he said, God didn't come to do away with Torah. He says the Torah actually was a tutor which drew me to Christ. So Paul was a perfect mixture, a hybrid, if you will, as far as exposures and historical contact with two different groups to be able to explain this Jewish gospel, uh, this Jewish message of covenants through the kingdom of God being restored through a Messiah that Father God had intended to send ever since uh, he declared that uh, Eve's seed after the fall in Genesis 3 uh, would end up um, bruising the head of the serpent. Okay. So when we go to Ephesians 2.11, it says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. Now, basically, um, the distinction there is simply Gentiles obviously didn't uh, understand the impact or import of uh, God making a covenant with Abraham, Um, and we see that in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, where where Abraham and God, Father God, make pretty much what they call a blood covenant. And it's through promise that he is telling Abraham, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And the nations were Gentile nations. Um, The Jews were supposed to be the prototype um, as a first uh, sample of what 
it looks like to have a relationship with God, and through the promises, the law, the prophets, and everything of the the covenants that the Jews experienced, that was supposed to be a a platform, a teaching platform to explain to the rest of the nations, this is how you have a genuine relationship with God, which we lost in Genesis chapter 3. So it's all about reconciling with God and restoring something that was lost, which was the amazing relationship that God had with both Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and which unfortunately was all lost by the third chapter of Genesis. So um, the circumcision was done as a identification marker that um, this person belonged to God. They were of God. In other words, they belonged to God. Gentiles didn't have any of that background as they're coming into a relationship with this Messiah as the gospel is exploding um, in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And by the time we hit Acts chapter 15, there are so many Gentiles coming to faith, to know the Lord, that the Jews have to have a a council, if you will, a powwow, where they come and say, wait a minute, we didn't expect this reaction of so many people coming in at once. And they had to decide, what are we going to explain to these new arrivals who, have, who know nothing about their Jewish foundation, their Jewish heritage, the Jewish history, their Jewish background, the, the, the foundation of the Jewish covenants. And um, so, so when we read a verse like verse uh, 11 in Ephesians chapter 2, that's what it's talking about as far as, as far as circumcision versus uncircumcision. Those who were of the uncircumcision, of course, were the Gentiles. Those who were of the circumcision were, of course, were the Jews. Now going down to verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 2, out of the New King James, that at that time, now he, he's, Paul's writing to Gentiles now, Paul the Apostle. He's saying that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens, or in other words, strangers, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, in other words, being aliens and strangers, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Listen, who has made both one, in other words, both groups, one, united, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh, talking about Jesus, the enmity, um, the other word for that is the hostility. The hostility, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now, to what purpose? Why, why is it so important that the Jew and Gentile both come together as being drawn near by the blood of Christ. Why is that important? Look at verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both, in other words, both groups, to God. In other words, we were separated from God. Everybody was separated from God. And, and now through the blood of Christ, Yeshua, his Jewish name, which means he saves, Jesus might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the hostility or the enmity. And verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, that's talking about Gentiles, and to those who were near, that's talking to the, about Jews. Again, to what end? Look at verse 18. This is what I call the three prepositions. And explains what this is all about. For through him, that's talking about Jesus. Now, it, notice the preposition, through. 
For through him we both, meaning both groups, Gentiles and Jews, have access by one Spirit. That's a capital S. So the Holy Spirit's involved, okay, in bringing this union together, okay? And through the last preposition is the word to. Through him, we both have access by one Spirit, here you go, to the Father. That's what it's about. Union with God, the Father. And go on to verse 19. Here he goes again, Paul. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the... Okay, let me read this again. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Wow. So we're citizens of something called the Commonwealth of Israel, but we're also, as Gentiles, being welcomed in parts or part and parcel now of the member as members of the household of God. And we have been built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fit together and it grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Are you ready for this? Put on your seatbelts. We're going to dive into this much more in the second half. God bless. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show? Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember .net. God bless. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We're doing a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 2 as to what is, what is our true biblical identity as Gentile believers. And we talked a little bit in the first half about um, when we become born again, we are becoming part of something very unique and very special. And Paul, the apostle in the second chapter of Ephesians, is using language that I don't think we've ever really stopped and considered because he's, as author of the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking to Gentiles in this chapter 2 and chapter 3 especially. And when he uses references as saying, you Gentiles are no longer uh, foreigners. You're no longer strangers to the covenants and to the promises of God. You're no longer aliens. You're now members of the household of God. But looking back at Ephesians 2.12, I want to look at this word um, commonwealth of Israel. So I looked up the word commonwealth, and I just want to give an example. There used to be something called the British Empire. And um, the British Empire was so large in the uh, 17 and 1800s and into the, um, even to the 20th century. And it was, the old adage was the British Navy was basically in all, you know, seven seas. And the old adage was the sun never set on the British Empire. That's how large it was because it was like, it was always morning someplace 
in the British Empire. So it was enormous. But um, after two world wars, uh, World War I, World War II, the British Empire uh, pretty much financially collapsed because of being drained of um, both blood and treasure um, on both severe, major world wars. Um, the, the British simply could not maintain financially um, their empire. And so something continued after the empire of, of England um, broke up. And it was something called the Commonwealth of what was called the United – well, see, the United Kingdom was England. But the Commonwealth of the British Commonwealth was an affiliation of former, former I should say, former – colonies, former nations that uh, were now becoming independent, pulling away. They were, they were possessions, if you will, of the British Empire. Um, but Britain wanted to maintain special uh, relations as far as uh, commerce, trading rights, uh, traveling privileges. Um, and you start seeing Canada um, after World War II, and uh, Australia after World War II, and New Zealand after World War II, and South Africa after World War II, they're having a different relationship with the mother country of England. And in essence, what it was was a new relationship of, yes, you're connected with us, and because of our affiliation earlier, you will retain many of the um, issues of status, the issues of privilege, the issue of um, benefit. And we want to maintain that relationship with you, even in your new autonomous um, state. And so you'll often see that uh, there'll be a reference to the Commonwealth of Britain and um, if you were a Canadian or an Australian, you would be able to travel to England on a um, on a Commonwealth passport, which would not require that you get a special visa in order to uh, fly and go visit England. Um, you were a member of the Commonwealth, um, even though you were of an, another country called Australia or New Zealand or Canada. And so I looked up the word, the definition of Commonwealth of Israel, and they had uh, several, actually the word Commonwealth, and I put in Israel there later thinking, okay, how does this fit in what Paul's trying to explain in Ephesians chapter 2? And the word Commonwealth was um, defined, one of the definitions that I found that fit probably uh, what I have just been explaining as far as the... uh, British Commonwealth. It's an association of self-governing autonomous states having a somewhat common political slash cultural background, and uh, they are united by a common allegiance to the mother country, and they are united voluntarily. So it's no longer a forced situation as in an empire, but these are this is an allegiance through through being um, or being known as a voluntary coming together. And so what does a commonwealth of Israel mean when we're talking about two cultures that Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 2? The Jews had a unique history with God, uh, beginning with Genesis chapter 12, uh, a former Gentile, um, Abram, is taken out of the Ur of the Chaldees, which is, uh, as people understand today, experts, uh, that was in an uh, area of Iraq. And God reaches down and makes a special promise. Um, if Abraham will obey by pulling up stakes, taking his family, and trusting God, And he said, I will give you land, and this land and this relationship that I am going to have with you, Abraham, is going to be unique. It's going to be one of a kind. 
it's going to be um, an example of how people are supposed to have a relationship with Almighty God. And demonstrating God's nature, demonstrating God's character, demonstrating um, his nobility, his his um, generosity, his faithfulness, his long-suffering. And, and it's interesting when you note that Abraham was the beginning of some spe- special family of God, and there was going to be progeny. There were going to be um, sons and grandsons that ran down the Abrahamic line. And the promise to Abraham was that there was going to be the Messiah, the seed of the Messiah would run through his lineage of Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. And the covenant promises continue as you study Genesis chapter 26 and then Genesis chapter 28. But notice that when God's making um, these covenants known, the details and the terms of the covenants to Abraham, um, what's mentioned oftentimes is the ultimate purpose of these covenants is to return God and reconcile God back with his children who are not just Jews or Hebrews, but also people of the nations. The Jews were to be the light of to the nations of what happens when there is a genuine, true, profound relationship with God. And that was the foundation of pretty much fulfilling what God had promised in Genesis chapter 3, that there was going to be a human seed that would come back, which would not just be human, but would be divine as well. And it would be a seed that was very God of very God and very man of very man. And that was messaging that God was sending to the fallen angels who rebelled against him and pretty much invaded the earth uh, in Genesis chapter 3 by tricking man through Unfortunately, Eve's uh, being seduced uh, to believe that in order to be like God, she had to disobey God. And it's really ironical because when you think about it, Eve was already like God and in his image. And so everything that the serpent told Eve was was a lie. It was fraud. It was deceit. And, um, God was in a rebuilding program starting in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 12, that rebuilding program on how does he restore everything that he began with in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as far as the material creation, handing over the material creation over to mankind to rule and reign with authority that only God can give. And, uh, and then we have this Messiah who shows up, and um, in his three and a half years, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's known in, in Hebrew circles as Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus. Yeshua means salvation, the Savior, the anointed the one is the Mashiach. And he is, as deliverer and as redeemer, going to bring mankind back to a relationship with his father and our father. Speaking of which, the only prayer that Jesus ever taught starts off with the two words, which is in the plural. If you look at the person, the um, adjective pronoun, it says our father. Our father. Not just Jesus' father, but answering the prayer, how do we pray? Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, he says the first two words are our Father. And that's what this one new man mystery, the Jewish Bible calls it a secret plan. Um, The uh, King James, New King James calls it a mystery. But the mystery is how to do these two divided people groups who are both Sons and daughters of God come together in a 
nation political sort of of affiliation. That's why it's called this Commonwealth of Israel. But it doesn't stop there. Even more intimately and deeply, it's also called the household of God in Ephesians chapter 2. That Gentiles become members of the household of God. And then, as such, it's now talking about you're no longer a uh, if you read Ephesians 2, you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer an alien. And you are, in essence, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. So I want to read. We got cut off there a little bit uh, at the last end of the break there. And I want to read this to you again out of the uh, complete Jewish Bible, starting at verse Uh, 17, also when he came, talking about Jesus, he announced his good news, shalom, peace, to you far off and shalom to those nearby. Well, who were formerly far off, that was us Gentiles. Shalom, those who were nearby were the Jews. News that through him, through Yeshua, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's the point. That's the goal. He is. The, the, the whole point of this is the reconciliation of our relationship, the repairing of the rupturing of our relationship with the Father that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. Now look at verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, talking to the Gentiles now. This is Paul again. On the contrary, you are fellow citizens with God's people. Now, that's the whole uh, concept. Citizen is a political construct. It's a kingdom construct. It's a governmental construct. Now, I'm not talking about modern-day Zionism or anything. I'm not going down that road. I'm talking about God's kingdom, which is a government. It's the domain of the king, the kingdom. God is bringing a government... through and by his Messiah coming to earth. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Your kingdom come. Jesus was on earth when he taught us that prayer. It doesn't say your kingdom go. It says your kingdom come. And how do we know that kingdom is a government being brought back down to earth? Because listen to the next line. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. On earth, we're retaking our inheritance as we come into this born-again experience, becoming members of the kingdom of God, citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. But it gets better. Now listen to this. This, Again, reading out of the complete Jewish Bible. Where are we? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you're no longer foreigners and strangers. On the contrary, you are fellow citizens with God's people and, notice the word and, members of God's family. The way the King James put it was members of the household of God. The way the Jewish Bible has it is members of God's family. Now, to what end? What's God trying to build here? Look at verse 20. It's Paul writing to the Gentiles again. You have been built... God's constructing something here. That's why Paul's using this language. You have been built on the foundations of the emissaries. Well, in the New King James, instead of emissaries, it says apostles. Going back to the Jewish Bible, and the prophets. By the way, the apostles were Jewish. The emissaries were all Jewish. The prophets were Jewish. With the cornerstone of the building being Yeshua Messiah himself. Can't build a building without a cornerstone if you expect the building to last. God's building something by bringing these two groups together, and we have to understand that we are part of something very special in the construction process, in the family membership process, and in the citizenship process. Look at verse 21. In union with him, it's talking about uh, Jesus as the chief cornerstone. The whole building is held together. That's what cornerstones do. 
This is all about Jesus being the unifier. By the blood, don't forget what he said earlier in in Ephesians chapter 2, by the blood the Gentiles were drawn near to all of these different elements of God's kingdom, citizenship, family membership. In union with him, the whole building is held together, verse 21, and it is growing, this is the living organism now, listen, into a holy temple in union with the Lord. So this is a dwelling place where both God and man are going to live. Doesn't this answer the question that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2, where God says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, but where is the house you will build for me, the place of my rest? Remember that? And in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in verse 2 of Isaiah 66, it says, all these things I have made, the earth, the heavens, all of it. I'm paraphrasing now, but he says, to this one will I look who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. He's talking about building his place of indwelling and rest in human flesh. I'll read it again in verse 21. In union with him, the whole building is held together. It is growing into a holy temple. You can't grow something if it's made out of bricks and wood and mortar. This is talking about a living organism. It is growing into a holy temple in union with the Lord. Yes, in union with him. This is verse 22. You yourselves are being built together into a spiritual dwelling place for God, God the Father. It doesn't stop with Jesus. It doesn't stop with the Holy Spirit. Don't forget those three prepositions. It was through Jesus and it was by the Holy Spirit we're being reconciled back to our Father. Okay? Wow. So what are we when we are become born again? If if the words Gentile church don't appear in the scripture, how do we go about Defining ourselves. Now, the use of the word uh, Christian, I did some more research, and we looked this up, and you will see it in Acts. Find it here real quick. I believe it's uh, chapter, stand by, one second here. I believe it's around verse 14. I'm sorry, chapter 14. Yeah, here we go. So the first time the word um, Gentile, I mean, I'm sorry, a Christian appears was at the church of Antioch. Now, that is a location which is now part of modern Turkey, but, but back then it was um, part of um, Syria. And yeah, first, Christ, first time um, people of the way or people that followed Christ um, were called Christians was in verse uh, 26, sorry, of chapter 11 of Acts. Okay, so let's read that. Um, this was all happening when, after Stephen the Apostle was um, martyred, um, there was persecution of Jews going on uh, within Israel, and there was a departure and bringing of the gospel out into um, Phoenicia and Cyprus and, and Antioch. And the preaching originally um, by these Jewish uh, apostles were to Jews only, as it says in verse 19 of Acts 11. But notice in uh, verse 20 of Acts 11, it says, some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, or in other words, the Greeks, the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number uh, believed and turned to the Lord. And then the news got back to Jerusalem how successful um, the church was growing by the Gentiles coming in in, in this area. And um, Barnabas was sent out to go to Antioch, saw what was had happening there, was very satisfied, encouraged them to uh, keep on. And, um, and then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to uh, seek out Saul. And when he found him, I'm in verse 26 now of, of Acts 11, he brought him to Antioch. And it was for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Here it is. 
and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, if you read that uh, same verse out of the Jewish scripture, I will read that. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, well, I'll read 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went off to Tarsus to look for Shaul, Saul, and when, that was his name before he became Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. They met with the congregation there for a whole year and taught a sizable crowd. Also, it was in Antioch that the Talmudim, Talmudim is just another word for the disciples or the followers. It was also in Antioch that the Talmudim for the first time were called Messianic. So whether we are called um, Messianic or whether we are called Christians, I think that Paul's explanation of what happens to us when we get born again in the second chapter of Ephesians, I want to give you his homework. Go back and study it and write down all of these concepts that we become part of the commonwealth of Israel. We become part of the household of God, members and co-heirs with the Jews as one new man is being formed and being built into a dwelling place of God. Wow. Radically different. I never heard this preached in my Gentile church. See you next week. Hope you have a ton of Simple Truth moments. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.